The Lord is so good and faithful, you may be seated. I am Pastor Jason, if you don't know, I forgot to, I I remembered I forgot to introduce myself earlier, so I'm Pastor Jason, um, and uh, I'm going to be speaking to you this morning, and man, oh man, were we blessed to have Sarah this morning, oh my gosh, thank you Sarah, Alex, worship team these this worship team works so unbelievably hard chris the tech team everybody puts in so much time and we are just so blessed at this church and uh so man i am so unbelievably excited to continue this new sermon series that we're in called radical love and and we're in uh this is week three of this sermon series and and uh so if you missed any part of it i want to take just a few moments up top here to catch you up on on what we've talked about already in the sermon series. Um, We began on week one by asking the question, who is the mission? Like, really? Like, who are we? And after spending some time examining the first two chapters of Acts, we agreed that we are a church that's history is connected to the church in the book of Acts. Because In fact, they are our ancestors. We talked about how the church of Acts truly listened to God without filter, what he had to say to them. And then they waited for the Lord's timing and prepared their hearts for what God wanted them, wanted to do through them with prayer in the secret place. And when the time came and the Holy Spirit was upon them, they stepped into the moment that God had prepared for them. And because they recognized when, when it was time for, to turn their waiting into action, the gospel of Jesus Christ saved thousands of people on the day of Pentecost. And this church... This church in Acts started as a group of people roughly about the same size as our church right now. This church began, this church in Acts began to live this radically different lifestyle in community together and they began to live out God's love and God added to their numbers daily. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want the Mission Redlands to be a place where we are following in the footsteps of the Church of Acts. So what's the answer to the question of who is the Mission Redlands? It is that we are a growing community living out God's radical love. We have decided to stick to God's love because as my hero, the great Dr. Martin Luther King said, I have decided to stick with love because hate is too great too great of a burden to bear. We are building our church around living out God's radical love. And last Sunday, on week two, we heard from this other doctor, the the Dr. Mark Ashley, and uh, I I like to call him the doc star, actually, because he he plays bass, and and he's kind of like a rock star to me anyways. But, um, But he asked the question, so... Now we know who the mission is, right? We know who the mission is, but what is the mission of the mission, right? And, and so, so Mark asked us that question, and, and 
So what is the mission of the Mission Redlands? And to answer that question, he took us through chapters 3 and 4 of Acts, where Peter and John, in the name of Jesus, healed a beggar who, was paralyzed, who had been paralyzed his whole life. And, and the Jewish religious leaders began to get all up in arms about how quickly the name of Jesus was spreading throughout their communities. I mean, the name of Jesus was spreading like wildfire, like, like a virus, like, like Aquanet hairstyles in the 80s. <laughs> I mean, it could, the name of Jesus literally could not be contained, and these leaders felt like they needed to put a stop to it immediately. So what do they do? They throw Peter and John in jail just to show them who's in charge, right? And when they finally bring Peter and John before them, they tell them they must stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. And in Acts 4.19, Peter and John say to this council of Jewish leaders, they say, what is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judge. As for us, and this is really important, catch this, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And the Jewish religious leaders had no way to argue with them because standing before them is this living miracle, a transformed life, a once lame beggar running and giving thanks to God in the temple courts. It's hard to argue with the evidence of a transformed life. Amen? Amen? So the Jewish council had to let Peter and John go because all these people who had witnessed this miracle were praising and giving thanks to God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ became more and more contagious. So we have taken that up as our mission at this church. Our mission the mission of the mission is to make God's radical love contagious. And how do we do that? We learn from Peter and John. We, we do that by speaking boldly about these things that we have seen and heard concerning Jesus. Amen? So that brings us to this week, right? We're finally to today. And so... Um, so we have talked about the who, right? We've talked about the what, but today and for the next three Sundays, we are going to share the how. And how are we going to strategically help people experience God's radical love in our church? And in the old days, we used something that was called a discipleship making process, which is basically just a fancy term for the steps we want people to go through as they begin to live a life devoted to Jesus. We referred to this process as connect, grow, and serve, right? And we filtered everything that happened in our church purposely through this three-step process. And today, I'm going to begin to share with you the discipleship-making process that we will use moving forward in 2016. It's really super radical. Are you ready? Are you with me? It's called connect, grow, and serve, right? 
if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, when someone new steps through the doors, we want to help them through the process of connecting with God and the community around them. We want to we want to grow in faith together with them. And we want to enable and release them to serve God wherever he calls them. That is the strategy for making God's radical love contagious in our community moving forward in 2016. And so today we are going to discuss the first step in that process, that discipleship making process, which is connect. And when, when you come to the mission, we want anyone and everyone to connect with God and with the community around them. And this is a deceivingly difficult step for many churches because it's easy to connect with people who are like us, right? But what about people who are different than us? People who dress like us and use the same language as us are easy to connect with, right? But what happens when someone walks through the door that's not like us? The church sometimes doesn't know what to do with these kind of people. Like, in some cases, tragically, they just kind of ignore them until they, until they go away. And like, I'm not talking about us as the mission. I'm talking about the big C church, like the church in America, the church worldwide. I feel like at the mission, we are an incredibly welcoming family of people of all different walks of life. In fact, the mission, when, when it was first birthed, we wanted this place to be a multicultural, multi-generational church because the true kingdom of God is a melting pot of all kinds of different people. We, have you ever stopped to think about the courage it takes for someone who has questions about whether God even exists to step through the doors of a church? Like, have you ever thought about the courage that that takes? Like, and not just, uh, not just unsaved people, but what about people who are from different cultures? Like, when a person from a different culture comes to a church, how do they feel? Do they feel in the minority? Or do they feel welcomed into the family despite our differences? We as the Big C Church, the church worldwide, have gotten too caught up in picking and choosing who we are willing to invest in becoming a disciple of Jesus because of the fear of our differences. But as Jesus said in Acts 1, as he was leaving the earth, he said, you are to be my witnesses to the ends of of the earth, not just in Jerusalem and Judea, but to the ends of the earth. Now, we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves for not totally grasping this concept, though, because even Jesus' disciples didn't get it right away. Shocker there, right? God had to expand their view of who was included in this task he gave them to do, to, to be a witness to the ends of the earth. And so, and, and that it was truly, this task was all-inclusive, without prejudice, for everyone. So let's take a look at what God does in Acts chapter 10, beginning of verse 1, to open up the disciples' minds about who Jesus actually died for. So as we pick up Acts chapter 10, while you're turning there, we are about to encounter two very different people from two very different walks of life. You have Peter. 
a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ and the rock that Jesus said he would build his church on. But also, Peter, his whole life had been a Jewish man until he met Jesus and Jesus began to turn his life upside down, that is. People like Peter who were Jewish at this time did not associate themselves with people who were Gentiles. And Gentiles just as everybody else who wasn't Jewish. And um, it was actually against their religious customs to be with Gentiles because they had very strong beliefs about food and people being ritually clean or unclean. And the long story short, Gentiles were definitely in their book unclean. So that's one side of the Acts 10 coin, right? That's one side. The other side of the coin is this man named Cornelius who was a Roman centurion stationed in Caesarea. A centurion was a commander of about 100 men, and the position that Cornelius held would have made him socially prominent and wealthy. But a Gentile, right? While, which, is, which I just said to a Jewish person would have made him unclean. And, they, and probably they would have needed to stay away. God is about to collide these two very different men in an incredible way that I believe that we are still feeling the reverberations of today. So let's check out this story in Acts 10. Would you, would you, would you um, listen to this story as I read it? Read along. Um, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, he gave generously in the, to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What, what is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now this part of the story right here is pretty self-explanatory. So let's just keep on rolling here. Um, Cornelius is praying. An angel visits him, tells him to send some men to go grab Peter and bring him back to his house. So let's, uh, there's my fire truck. Um, let's, uh, let's keep reading in verse nine. So about noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet began to let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, replied. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. This voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. While Peter was still wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So, okay, so... The day after Cornelius has his encounter with the angel, Peter, who is also sometimes very confusingly known as Simon. Um, so you have Simon, who's known as Peter, and then you have Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. It kind of sounds like a banjo song, like Simon the Tanner lives by the sea, you know, like ding, 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 ding. No, um, I should never do improv. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> But so you have Simon, who's known as Peter, and, and some of the scripture calls him by both names, which can be confusing. But there's another Simon who lives by the sea, apparently. So, and that's where Peter, who's known as Simon, is staying. Clear? Clear as mud, right? Um, so, okay. So Peter is praying and becomes hungry, and as his food is being prepared, which we have already discussed, he could only eat certain kinds of food because of the Jewish food laws. And whatever he ate had to be deemed ceremonially clean. And it's not like clean like it needed to be washed with like palm olive or oxyclean. It's like that certain types of animals were deemed unclean to eat at all, like period. And in chapter 11 of Leviticus, it lists out in detail all those, all those unclean uh, animals that they couldn't eat, and if, if you're interested. And uh, so Peter is praying, gets hungry, and the Lord gives him this vision, right, of all these different types of animals being let down from heaven. Um, among the animals are those deemed both clean and unclean. And some animals probably looked like appetizing to Peter, right? And some of them probably looked like repulsive, um, and as the animals were being let down, Peter hears, this, hears the voice of Jesus say, get up, kill, and eat. This command would have made absolutely no sense to Peter because it would have violated the Jewish food laws, right? And so Peter responds to Jesus, and, and this isn't a direct quote, but he says something to the effect of, dear God, no, don't make me eat that, Right? <laughs> And Peter actually says in verse 14, he says, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And what Jesus says next has tremendous meaning for us today. In verse 15, Jesus says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The Bible tells us that the whole scene happened three times, and afterwards, Peter's still like scratching his head. He's like still trying to figure out exactly what this vision 
means, like what this strange vision is all about. And right about that time, Cornelius's men show up looking for Peter. And God tells Peter to go with them without objection, because remember, they're Gentiles. And to a Jewish person, Gentiles would have been unclean. And even though Peter doesn't fully understand his vision yet, he obeys the Lord and goes with the men to see Cornelius. So let's see what happens next in verse 24. The following day, he arrives in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends, everybody he loved. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. But may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Oh my gosh, I love that part of the scripture. I love that part because Peter finally starts to get it, right? Like he finally starts to get it. And he, he like has this aha moment. Uh, I, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. All of a sudden, Peter gets it. Like he, the lights come on where... and. and he realizes what the Lord is doing here and what his vision meant. His vision with the clean and unclean animals being let down from heaven in the same sheet was God's way of opening Peter's mind for this moment. God was removing all of the obstacles that were getting in the way of the message of Jesus Christ being spread. The walls were coming down. The, the boundaries were being broken. The gospel of Jesus Christ could not be contained. God was removing any obstacles in the way of Jesus' name reaching the nations of the earth. The message of Jesus Christ isn't specifically addressed to a Jewish culture or a Gentile culture. The message of Jesus Christ was sent to all people. Amen. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And Peter's finally starting to get it, right? So this beautiful story continues to unfold as Peter begins to simply just 
speak about the things that he has seen and heard. He just simply shares the gospel. He begins to speak boldly about the things he has seen and heard concerning Jesus and something amazing happens, right? In verse 44 through 48, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them, them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Did you catch what just happened? Even though it was against the Jewish culture to be with Gentiles, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And there was nothing left for Peter and the other Jewish men to say or do. It was done. They couldn't argue about clean or unclean anymore because there before them was a living testimony that Jesus Christ died for all people without prejudice, for all. It's hard to argue with the evidence of a transformed life. And Peter and the Jewish men with him couldn't argue with God because the transformation was evident. So they all began praising and worshiping God together. So here's my question for us today. And it's kind of a, like, I wrote this question down. I was like, dang, that's kind of harsh. But like, we got to ask ourselves the hard questions sometimes. Like, why, if God, if God broke down all the obstacles that would keep us from sharing life and the message of Jesus Christ with someone who's not like us, why do we work so hard in putting them back up? What keeps us from connecting with people who are not like us? Why do some people, when they walk through the doors of a church, feel unwanted? I mean, we have to ask ourselves the hard questions sometimes, right? And here at the mission, in the, in the weeks to come, we are going to make some positive changes to even better help welcome all different types of people and make them feel welcomed and wanted in our church. And the two people leading the charge here are with us today, and I, and I want to introduce you to them if you don't already know them. Would you please welcome Brian and Jody Bell to the stage here? We're just going to talk, no big, no big whoop, um, just a little, cop, little SML reference there, sorry. Um, oh gosh. Hi guys. So this is Brian and Jody Bell, if you don't already know them, and I love these guys. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How, how, did, how did you guys meet and 
all that jazz. Brian's leaving the mushy part to me. <laughs> okay. Um, I was 17. Brian was 18. He was a... Last year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a freshman in college. I was in high school, and I went to uh, the King's College where he went to do a scholarship competition, and he had won the year before, and so he was there helping that day, and um, we ended up having lunch together, my mother, myself, Brian, and his brother and parents, <laughs> and so on that very first day, we met each other. Wow. Wow. families. Wow. I knew how strange they were. <laughs> and then um, when I went to college there that fall, we both worked in admissions and the school paper together. And so we started dating my f second semester freshman mm. year. Mm. So I I'm in your guys' grill group, so I know a little bit about you guys. And so can you just briefly tell us about Brian's favorite food dish? Which <laughs> <laughs> one? So Brian's a real classy guy. <laughs> And his favorite food dish is clam casserole. Okay. It is nasty. Yeah. <laughs> and and did the, didn't you say the clams come out of a can or something yes. like that? It has to it be is, canned no, clams? No, no. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just clams and crackers and eggs. Yeah. And so, awesome. So what, I really got to get a hold of this mic. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so what, how long have you guys been a part of the mission and, and what brought you here? What kind of embarrassing things can I now share? No. Um, so we've been a part of the mission for about 13 months now. Um, it was very interesting. At the fall of the previous year, we were at a large megachurch here in Redlands. And um, I just was struck by the fact that if we weren't there, nobody noticed. Uh, we weren't that involved. We didn't really do anything other than go on Sunday morning. And, and honestly, that's probably the experience that many people have in Southern California. Hey, it's easy. You show up, you hear the word, you go home, and that's that. But when you really get into the scripture, I think more is expected of us as believers. And there's a sense that we live this Christian faith out in community. And I was really convicted by that. And it was um, on New Year's day uh, we were uh, as a family just uh, eating out at a restaurant and I said to them what's what's one or two things that you want to do different in 2015 and this you know they all look at me blankly and I said hey I'll tell you one thing that's really been challenging to me is this desire to be in a, a church where we can experience community and uh, where are we going to try well we'd remembered hearing about this little place called the mission that we could walk to and here we are, 13 months later. So. Yeah, and we're so glad. The Bells have jumped in headfirst in our community. Uh, their son, Brendan, runs the computer, and Michaela plays the violin, and she just kills it every week. And, and so um, we are just so thankful that you guys are a part of our community. And so you guys are, um, you guys are taking over our Connect ministry, and, and you're going to help us do better as far as Connect. Like, what, what, what makes you guys passionate about that? I think we've moved a lot in our day. We know what it's like to be new. We know what it's like not to know where to go, how things work. So I think wherever we've been, we've really had a heart for the new person and trying to see from their perspective and just really do our part to make it a warm environment where somebody who's new feels welcome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And so I think one of the most interesting things about the story we were discussing today is that Cornelius was actually a believer in God. Like, he was like a good person, you know, and he prayed and he gave to the poor. 
but he didn't have Jesus, you know? And, and like, it's so funny how we can judge someone by the way they look or, or you know, whether they look like they've been in church before or, or something like that, you know, and not begin to dive in, like, get involved in their life and, you know, preach the gospel to them because of the way they look. Like, sometimes we can, we will do that and sometimes we won't do that because of who they are. And so I just was, I just thought I'd throw this out to you guys. Like, how can we, how do you think we as a church can do a better job of connecting with people from all cultures and all walks of life? Like, yeah, yeah I, I think that's a great question because I think um, on the whole, you know, we do well. We're a small church. We can recognize people when they're new and those kinds of things. But I think there's three elements to what um, I'd love to see us do better at um, as a church. One is I want to make sure that when people come visit that they feel welcome. seems like a small thing, uh, but it takes all of us who are part of the mission going out of our way, greeting people, getting to know them. Um, I think that's really important. I think a second element to this that's, that's really key as well is to recognize that a lot of what we do inside these walls is sort of, is cultural, it's churchy. Yep. And um, by dint of it being churchy, if you're not from a church background, you come in here and then, whoa, what in the world is going on? This is a very different experience, and it leaves you with a great degree of discomfort. I'm okay if God's Holy Spirit is making you uncomfortable. I'm not okay if we as Christians, through what we do, are making you feel uncomfortable. And that's right. really a big right. difference for us, is that the things, we want to make sure the churchiness of what we do does not stand in the way of people coming and learning and knowing about God and feeling comfortable in our church. And I think the third part of it that's important as well, and we talked about this today when we talk about discipleship, oftentimes when we talk about discipleship, we get, oh, caught up in this sort of complex process of what does it mean and how do I help make disciples? And at the end of the day, if somebody walks in here once and never comes back again, we've already failed them in this whole idea of making a disciple. Part of making a disciple is building relationships because that's the basis of discipleship. So what is each one of us doing as part of this congregation to build disciples by beginning to grow in relationship with other people? That's really key. And I think that's one of the things I love about the grow groups is that's a real way of, as people come in, of really getting to know them. When we share meals together and share uh, God's word together uh, at individuals' homes in the area, Area, that's an incredible opportunity to share life with each other and that's really what the Christian faith is about amen amen thank you man yeah so what so we can probably expect to see some changes in that yeah so what our goal is we just chatted a lot about this and met with the leadership team but um, over the next couple of weeks, we'll have opportunities. I'd like to see us improve what we're doing with the welcome um, station kind of area in the front so that as people come in, there's a place where they can go and find out how do I, you know, what do my children need to do during church? How does this work and that work and what's a wanna and all these kinds of things. Um, I'd love to see us, uh, you know, do some work as, as greeters about how do we help people feel welcome uh, and then just do some things on process. So early February, I'd expect to have uh, some of these steps in place. Awesome, awesome. Can you give these guys a hand? Thank you guys so much. Thank you. So change, change, positive change is coming, right? Like these guys have, have dove in head first and it's been a, just like a beautiful thing to watch and they're just killing it. So just as God 
removed obstacles standing in the way of the Gentiles receiving the good news of what Jesus had done for us. I, I really believe that the Lord has begun to break down barriers in our own church to further spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see it further spread. I believe we are coming into a season now where the Lord is going to do as he did for Peter, open up our minds to the depths of what is possible. And we'll praise him for it when he does it. And we will boldly share about the things we have seen and heard concerning Jesus. Because as later Peter explains to his Jewish brothers why he was why he was hanging out with Gentiles, because when you start to hang out with people who are different than you, the people who are like you are going to ask you questions, you know? They're, they're, the people who are like you are going to be like, why are you hanging out with those questionable people? But Peter, in chapter 11, verse 17, when he's explaining to his other Jewish brothers, he says, if God gave them the same gift he gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? We do not want to be a church standing in God's way when he wants to reach the people of this city. We want to partner with him. And that is why we want everyone that comes in the door of this church to connect with God, to connect with the community around them. Because we want them to know that they are welcomed and wanted in this place by us and by God. Despite who they are, despite where they come from, despite what they have done in their life, there is room at the foot of the cross for everyone. We want that message spread throughout our city and throughout the nations of the earth. So as the worship team comes, I want to pray us out. Father God, we want to see your gospel spread through this city like wildfire, God. We want to see it. We, Father, we feel like we are beginning to see it, Lord. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for what you have done and what's to come, Lord. So, Father God, continue the good work that you've started in us, in this church, in this city. Remove the barriers. Remove the obstacles standing in our way. Remove our fears of our differences. Let us speak in boldness about who this Jesus is. And Father, now as we turn uh, to our offering, as the ushers come forward, Lord. Lord, we are praying that this church begins to be a church known by their radical generosity, Lord. Not just in giving in the plate, but in giving in the community, and giving to each other, the Acts 242 picture, Lord. To all those who have need, they sold their possessions and they gave. 
for God so loved the world that he gave. So Lord, we, we turn our eyes to you now as, as we think about what we have that we could bring you, Father, for it's already yours. We don't give it to you. It's already yours, Lord. So we bring it to you now. Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.